TEDx. You see many people nowadays on social media like LinkedIn who give speeches on TEDx event or who give so-called TED talks. Have you ever wondered who drains those people, who are coaching those people to make them that successful on the stage, to make them that authentic, to make them giving their best and delivering their best speech. I have the honor to interview such a TEDx senior speaking coach in my podcast today. She is not only coaching speakers, but also CEO and high leading managers in big companies like Amazon and Microsoft. And we will talk about authenticity. She will share some golden nuggets with us, how to prepare and practice your speech to make sure when the day comes, that you have to deliver, you will deliver. I have a really special interview guest today. It is actually Friday evening at 9 p.m. here in Helsinki when we are recording that episode, while for her it's 11 in the morning because she is based in Seattle. I am talking to Jacqueline Farrington, who is an absolute expert when it comes to public speaking and communication with more than 20 years of experience. She is a TEDx senior speaker coach. She is a CEO coach and has worked with clients such as Amazon and Microsoft and recently published a book called The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro Virtually or in Person. And we will talk about developing confidence as a speaker, how to improve communication both face-to-face -face and virtually and what to do if something went unexpectedly wrong. So welcome to the Spotlight Your True Self podcast, Jacqueline. Thank you, Michaela. It's really lovely to be here. And thanks for staying up so late too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> A Friday evening is okay. So I <laughs> good. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here. And I know about you that you have started your career as an actress. And uh, could you share with us some insights how this has uh, impacted who you are, if it has helped you to develop your self-confidence and also brought you to where you are right now? Yes. I, I did start as an actor, and then while I was acting, I started teaching actors at the Yale School of Drama, and I did that for about 14 years. And the interesting thing about acting is that actors are students of human behavior, and the motivations behind why they behave the, the way that they do. So that's really what got me interested in it initially is this idea of understanding human behavior and because of course if, if actors don't understand that and understand the the reality and the truth of human behavior then their their acting reads very false to to the audience and while i was at yale i started also teaching in the law school and the school of management so i was broadening who I was working with and discovered that I loved that even more than working with actors because some of the concepts we were working on had 
life-altering impact for some of my clients at the time. So I made the, the leap to leave Yale in 2003 and started my, my company. And so today I work with CEOs and senior leaders on the intersection of change, communications, and um, leadership. And so how do all three of those come together to inspire and sustain change in, in organizations? Mm. I find it actually very interesting, like coming from the acting world and then i mean like if you are a manager if you are a ceo it's of course i would i would say maybe not about acting but like being really your authentic self or would you would you also say that you as a coach that you are able to spot if someone in that in that leadership role is really acting in a way of like you know like more in a, in a way of baking keeping up a facade that somehow it feels artificial like technically everything is good but it's not it's not authentic it's not resonating well you know it's interesting I think it's a common misperception that actors are faking it or or they're lying and and in fact actors have to start with themselves first uh -huh. and that's how they they bring the truth of human behavior onto the stage for audiences and so um in answer to your question, can you, I, I think most of us can spot when someone is acting inauthentically. Mm -hmm. uh, the work that I do today as a coach is, is very much around how do you bring your authentic self into any communication situation? I, I do a lot of work with what I call strategic presence. And strategic presence is about how do I adapt my presence in the room so that I can help my audience hear my message. And in order to do that, a leader must understand themselves first. Always start with yourself first. Mm. And understand their values, their lived experiences, the different roles that they play in life. And then asking themselves, okay, in this situation and with this audience and this particular message, What parts of myself, what parts of my, my values do I need to amplify and, and bring into the room to connect with this audience? So it's, it's yes, you can definitely feel it and, and see it as most of us can when people are inauthentic. And, and I think the way that you work around that is starting with yourself first and, mm -hmm. and understanding yourself. Yeah, I really like what you're saying, because I mean, that was also the kind of idea that I had with that podcast concept of having that, that way of being your authentic self based on three pillars that first you start with building up your self confidence and getting that inner stability. And then as a second step, being able to manage your emotions. And then like as the third pillar, like having the techniques in place that kind of, okay, like, you, you know, like you have kind of a template, like when you have to talk to someone or when you have to give feedback or something gets critical, there's still something you can hold on such a, such a pattern. But I mean, first you need that stability and that clarity inside yourself. And I really like it. And you had asked me about actor training and, and building confidence mm. and, One of the ways that actors learn presence and, and confidence, a, a foundational way, although there are many different tools and, and techniques, but one of the ways that actors do that 
is learning to take risks. And so being vulnerable, taking risks, making mistakes, actors know that to discover the, the one right way of doing something, they've got to explore 134 wrong ways of doing it, or, or maybe it's three wrong ways of doing it, but they need to take those risks of exploring. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also very true of leaders and, and other communicators is a part of my job as a coach is to create that safe sp- space where they can take risks, where they can explore and when where they can fail. When we think about, let's say, for example, presenting, if you teach your brain to take risks, you teach your brain to communicate under some kind of stress, some kind of duress, and uh, you teach your brain to fail, in fact, you you embrace failure, then it's much easier to deal with mistakes and, and curveballs that happen on the day. Do you have an example? Like any kind of risks that you where you are telling your clients, hey, try that out and do exactly sure. that. Yeah. So if you think about in in rehearsing for a presentation, there are simple ways to build stress that will most likely lead to some form of failure for, for you and for, for your brain. Mm-hmm. For example, you can turn on your camera and just videotape yourself. It's really interesting that the minute people see that camera go on, their stress levels go up. And then usually they make a mistake or you can try to speak through your presentation as fast as possible without missing a beat, without missing any key point, without missing any part uh, along the emotional journey. Or you can invite an audience. And, and this is interesting. It's usually an audience of people who know you quite well. Most people get a lot more nervous when they're presenting to their mom or to their partner. And that starts to up the, the stress level a little bit. Or one of the, the things that I do with my clients very early on, and they hate it, but it works, is to get, if you are working from talking points or a script, to get off that script as soon as possible. And you cannot have it anywhere in your space and yet try to get through from top to bottom the the entire presentation. Guarantee it will be painful. Guarantee you will make mistakes, but then you're teaching your brain how to handle that kind of, of situation when it occurs. And you can even help yourself further by when you do make a mistake, Rather than saying to yourself, oh, I made a mistake, shoot. Instead of saying to yourself, that's great. I made a mistake. This is good. And, and that's a, a technique that I learned from sports psychologists, that mm-hmm. when coaches are working with peak performer athletes, they create stress, they create failure, they build failure into practice, mm-hmm. and then they work with the athlete to not only manage that failure, handle that failure, but to also say, that's great. I just failed. That's wonderful. How often do you suggest to your clients to practice a speech? Because I think what, like, I mean, for many years and maybe many people are the same, you know, you see these great speakers out there 
and you have the impression, oh, they are just like super talented. They're just standing there. They're speaking from your heart. It all comes so great. And then when you actually dig a little bit deeper into that matter, you notice, oh, it's, it's really hard work and it's a lot of practice. Uh, do you have any kind of like benchmark of, hey, you should practice your speech like that and that often? It's different for every person and it's different for every speech. Chris Anderson, the, the founder of TED Global, mm -hmm. I think he has a formula where he says something like two hours for every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can be that prescriptive because life happens. Sometimes people don't have that much. I, but I did once work with a, a speaker for TEDx Seattle who rehearsed her 16-minute talk for 80 hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's different. And she she did an amazing job. And in fact, she was invited to the TED Global stage. So it's just different for every speech and every person. And the most important thing is thinking about the idea that rehearsal sets you free, that by the time you stand up on the day to give your performance, you have rehearsed it so much that you know it like your house. If you think about your, your house, you know how to get from the front door to the, the master bedroom. But you also know your house so well that if you entered the house from the bathroom window mm -hmm. or from the, the side balcony door or another, another point of entry in your house, you might take a different path to get to your master bedroom, but you would still be able to get there. And that's really what you want to feel with, with your speech. And, and the other thing you want to feel is having answered all of the questions around, for the most part, around how you're saying what you're saying. By that, I mean that if you have to stand up on performance day and you have to be thinking about, okay, where am I standing when I'm saying this? And which words am I emphasizing? And how am I emphasizing them? And what am I doing with my hands and my gestures? And where's my eye contact? Your brain cannot, that's just cognitive overload, way too much to have to think about when you should be and need to be thinking about how is the audience responding to what I'm saying? What's the energy in the room? What's the environment that I'm, I'm dealing with? Are there things that are not quite going the way I want them to, or maybe egregious mistakes are happening and I need to course correct, but you don't have the brain power to do that if instead you're trying to answer all those questions that is, is really about rehearsal and, and um, when you need to be answering those, those questions. Hmm. So you need, to, you need to at least given yourself enough trial and error, standing up, speaking aloud, giving yourself the opportunity to go, oh, I didn't like that. I didn't, that didn't feel right. Or I, I was standing still in that moment and really I had the instinct to move. So I want to go back and try it again and try moving this time and see how that feels. Those are some of the questions you need to answer in rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the picture, how you described it, that like how you know your house this kind of okay you're coming from the front door you're coming from the bathroom window you know how to get to your bedroom um what would you say i mean 
I think many people might struggle of maybe losing exactly that information in the right moment, right? Or having the confidence of, hey, whatever happens, I am remembering how my house looks like. Yes. Divide your talk, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> divide your talk into chapters. Mm. So you've got your introduction, you've got your conclusion, maybe you've got three or four chapters in between that. Rehearse those chapters independently. So you're not, whenever you rehearse, you're not always going from top to bottom in, in the talk. You're just doing the intro. You're just doing chapter two. That's, that's one way so that you become really familiar with each chapter. Then force yourself to come in through a different entry point in the house. So say to yourself, okay, I'm actually going to start my talk with chapter three, mm -hmm. but I know I need to get to chapter one and I know I need to get to the, the, some of this important information in the intro, but I'm going to end up in the master bedroom. I'm going to end up in with the conclusion. So then pick different points of entry for your talk and work yourself forward from there to where you want to land. And that's a great way of just getting it very familiar in your bones so that it, it really doesn't matter um, which point of entry you use. The other thing is to have three different versions of your talk. So if you're told that your presentation is 30 minutes, make sure you've got a 15 minute version of that. And then make sure you have a five minute version of that. Often what happens for speakers on the day is that they're one of many speakers. And by the time it gets to their turn, they're told, uh, we know we told you you had 30 minutes, but we're running behind. So can you cut it by 10 minutes? Okay. Or, okay, the executives need to rush off to an urgent meeting. So they really just need to hear the headlines right now. And so having those different versions in terms of the length of your presentation then just gives you that flexibility to adjust in the moment. Hmm. That, that's, a, that's a really good tip. <laughs> Something I would definitely keep in mind. I mean, also for, for my own, like, uh, like for my own job and, and for the work as such. Um, I mean, I have a lot of people in my community or people that I have supported in the past or also who are listening to that podcast who are maybe not like speakers in a way of getting in front of a big audience with a lot of people but um let's say people who have more like struggles in their everyday life of speaking in front of others in a meeting at work to really present their core competence to really spotlight in a way hey i am the one who can lead that project i am the one who qualifies for that promotion or then in a job interview as well i'm the one qualifying for that job and that's also why i, I love your picture with that house because i mean this is this is the, not a speech like especially a job interview for example it's not a speech in in that way that you could prepare but i would then think if it's exactly like you said like knowing the different chapters or parts of your house that you have that prepared like then maybe you know whenever a question comes for a job interview about a past experience or where you want to see yourself in the future that you can take it from there I think this is now how, how I, I would interpret your approach 
that was the first part of the interview with Jacqueline Farrington. I hope you have enjoyed it so far. What her answer is to the question, how you can prepare for a job interview and other tips that she can share from her great experience about giving presentations not only in person but also virtually when you're just sitting in front of your laptop now in the times that we are all working remotely a lot. This is what you will hear in the second part of the interview. That episode comes out one week after this episode so for not missing it make sure you're subscribing the podcast and if you have liked this first part of the interview i would be really happy if you would give that podcast a rating and connect with me and with Jacqueline of course as well on social media like linkedin or instagram Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you had some inspiring insights on your journey to spotlight your true self. If you don't want to miss the next episode, then please subscribe to this podcast and you would make me very happy if you would give this podcast a rating if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and if you would recommend this podcast to your friends, to your family, to your colleagues or whoever where you think this person would find support in the topics that I am discussing here. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram under at michaela.kettner.fi. And if you find it challenging to spell my German name, you can find, of course, all the contact details in the show notes of this podcast.